Hello, welcome to the final swipe, a podcast about healing our hearts and finding love. I'm your host, Nikki Novo. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the final swipe. I'm just so excited to be here with you today because it's not just me. Today we have a special guest, Nancy Levin, who is just a master coach. I mean, I, I was so inspired by her when I met her at the Hay House Writers Workshop. So I just, I just knew I had to bring her on. And I, we got you guys, we were so lucky because she actually said yes. So we're really <laughs> lucky to have her here today. Um, it's also a special day because one of her latest books came out today as this airs on January 7th. So um, definitely, you're, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even going to sell it to you because you'll be sold by the end of this conversation because you're really <laughs> going to enjoy Nancy. Um, Nancy, you know, talks a lot about, um, I think, in my the way that I see you, Nancy, is you, she's just a master in self-love and really like self-awareness, looking within, all these things. But she learned a lot of that through relationships. And that's really how her story begins. And she was so kind to share that at the workshop. I'm hoping she'll share some of that today with you as well. So I just love that she talks about that, but she also talks about how that looks in relationships, definitely starting off with boundaries and our own self-awareness. And I just really thought you guys are in such a good place to hear this message that I wanted to bring her on. So Nancy, welcome to the show and thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So, Nancy, um, can you tell us, like, maybe a little bit, however, is a short, I guess, your Cliff Notes version um, of how you got into this kind of work um, so that they can understand, like, the backstory between, um, behind how you got into this? Sure. So, I, this piece of my story really begins with the implosion of my marriage. <laughs> and. Yeah. The, the Cliff Notes version, and I will say all the gory details are in my book. <laughs> but that's true, that version, your first book. That's true, right? right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Jump in Your Life Will Appear um, yeah. is, is a detailed account of, of the, whole, um, the whole falling apart of my marriage and really the way in which <laughs> I ultimately blew it up. Um, I had, so I was the event director at Hay House Publishing for over a decade and I was this powerhouse in the world and on stage. And yet, I, in my marriage, I was quiet as a mouse and I was really a doormat. I had been living my life by the motto, never let them see you sweat. So I was projecting an image of perfection to the world. I was managing the perception of others, only wanted them to see me through the lens that I gave them to see me through. And... I was living in this marriage where essentially my silence was far outweighed by my now ex-husband's rage. And I was in a place where I was constantly overgiving, constantly in this overachieving, people-pleasing, not rock the boat mentality, wanting to do everything I could to try to keep everything together and not let anyone see what was really happening behind closed doors. And, you know, the irony is here I am traveling literally around the world with the greatest minds, teachers in the field of self-empowerment and self-improvement and motivation and inspiration. And yet I wasn't able to let their teachings land in me until I was in my own crisis. And so I, as I was, as I said earlier, you know, my marriage began to implode of my own creation 
because I was unwilling and unable to tell the truth to myself. And so the foundational piece of all my work really begins with this uh, truth telling, you know, this admitting to ourselves what we already know to be true, Mm -hmm. because I do think that we all believe we have to hide some part of ourselves in order to be loved and accepted, that we run around believing that, oh, if they knew this, if they saw this, they wouldn't love me. And yet the crazy thing is that is in the next breath, we're also saying, I just want to be loved for the truth of who I am. And yet we're so fearful to reveal the truth. And so what I discovered, what I discovered in, in, in my marriage dissolving was that the people who I feared revealing myself to the most were the ones who rallied around me the fiercest. And so at this point, as I was leaving an 18 year marriage, that was really uh, based on my not being true to myself, that was based on me acquiescing and compromising my truth over and over again. As I was beginning to step into rebuilding myself, the people around me, I, I often think of it like they were building, they were creating a scaffolding around me for me to rebuild. And one of the people in particular was my my teacher, my mentor, the late Debbie Ford. She was a dear friend. She was teaching a weekend workshop right as I was in the process of leaving my marriage. And I, it was something that I was used to producing in my job at Hay House. And she said, mm-hmm. listen, for this particular weekend, have your staff do the event and you are going to sit your ass in the chair and you're going to do the work. (laughs) And it was the greatest gift she could have given me because it was really, it was really my first introduction to myself on an honest, deep and truthful level. And it's what propelled me into this deep self inquiry that ultimately led me into coaching after I did the weekend with her, I decided to do her year-long coach training and certification program with no designs on being a coach. My job at Hay House was my dream job. I never (laughs) in a million years thought I would leave it. I never thought I would be a coach. It was never in the back of my mind. I just wanted to continue this archaeological dig on my own inner landscape. And Debbie was the perfect guide for me. So I I did her year-long coaching training program. And once I was certified, it was uh, evident to me that that the woman I had become was utterly unrecognizable from the woman I was when I began the program. And that was the moment that things began to click for me that, wow, I really want to help other people get free. Mm. I'm curious I'm listening to that story. Thanks for Thank you so much for sharing. You're welcome. Um, I, have a, You're welcome. <laughs> I have a few questions actually based off that. Sure. When, well, this is maybe more of a comment, but so funny because I, I actually, um, I was a magazine editor for many years at NBC and Condé Nast and all these different places. And I was brought into this work by accident as well. Um, so it's just so funny when you're like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to take this life coaching course, like no big deal, <laughs> not going to change right. my life or anything. And like right. how much it right. really just changed the, the, your life. And um, that's it's amazing. Um, isn't it, and I, isn't it fascinating? You had mentioned that you had been around all these, amazing speakers and teachers and healers. For those of you who don't know Hay House, they're a publishing house that um, published probably a lot of the books that you guys are already reading. 
um, you know, Gabrielle Bernstein, uh, Nancy, uh, all those, the spiritual teachers here, a lot of them are published by this house and Nancy was in charge of putting all their events together. So she was in front of all these great minds. Um, and it's so fascinating how you, you said it so well that you, you, the information was being given to you, but you really weren't there to receive it until um, right. your mentor, Debbie Ford, was like, hey, you're, you're going to sit down, you're going you're gonna to take it in, um, which, I think <laughs> yeah. is, which I think is, uh, I feel like she's with us, I, which I think is, um, you know, part of, uh, you know, like how, how do, do you have any idea of how that happens? Because I, I can look back at my life and see how there were people trying to tell me like what I wasn't willing to hear or what I wasn't willing to know. Um, do you, do you think it's a timing thing or do you think it's something that we can prep ourselves for? When I work with clients, I ask them to, cause I'm kind of uncoachable in many ways. So, <laughs> so I'm like that person. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask like the mm-hmm. client to, um, or when I'm working with a group or whatever, I'll ask the person to please take a moment to, to accept what is like being given to them, to be open to yeah. it. Um, I, I do reading. So a lot of the times I actually see people who like close off their, their energy and I have to, I have to go and request to see the full, um, the full energy of the person. But I'm just wondering if, um, if there's any tips for somebody who maybe understands, who can, who can see that they're maybe like that. And if there's something we can do to be a little bit more open to, to what is trying, the signs, the gifts, the messages, everything that's trying to come to us. Yeah. You know, what I would say is I, what I saw in myself and what I see in many is that we want to wait for a crisis. You know, we want to wait yes. for the crisis. We don't want to be proactive in our own healing. And right. I see this, whether it's in relationship to coaching or therapy, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't take action to take care of ourselves until something is act- has actually gone wrong right. and we're at some rock bottom. So uh-huh. I, I'm really a proponent now of integrating this aspect of it's really, I mean, not only healing, but it's re, it's the regeneration and the rejuvenation of the parts of ourselves that have gone dormant or the parts of ourselves that we've been pushing away and to actually begin to open up to inviting in these different parts of ourselves so that we're not so afraid and we don't feel like we have to hide. So it's about no longer waiting for the crisis. I often will say, you know, rock your own foundation before it rocks you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so no, that's, a, that's and that's, that's a great point. Yeah, and that's yeah. So that's you know that's where the bravery comes in. That's where the courage comes in to really say like I'm going to live an examined life. I'm going to live an inhabited life. You know, that's really a big piece of my work is because for many years I really felt for decades I felt I was living someone else's life, and I think mm-hmm. that many of us relate to this idea, and so there there's this courage and this bravery and you know i'm actually going to inhabit my own life and i'm going to start doing the archaeological dig you know to start seeing what's here and how can i actually live into the life that is on my terms and is of my desire yeah that's beautiful and definitely bravery is such a big component of it it's basically you know Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that the fear is going to go away you know the reason we don't want to look at it is because we're scared right we're scared of what's going to come out but but definitely like a kind of living in bravery and courage and and really when you're calling and praying for something praying for courage and bravery to see these things Mm -hmm. also um 
another thing that you mentioned, I, I, the way that I was understanding is that you believe in almost like prevention. Like I think we can maybe use yeah. the metaphor of, you know, we're not going to wait for a heart attack. We're, we're going to be eating healthy and we're going to try to, you know, exercise so that we don't um, get to the heart attack place that we can actually like see this before. And knowing that a lot of this, this work is, it's prevention and just, you know, keeping up with, keeping up with it. It's kind of like, I think you're what you were trying to say, Nancy, but it's kind of like Botox for <laughs> you start giving yourself, you're like, you know, you're going to take care of your face before you, you know, before you get like too old, you guys, that's kind of what it's like, <laughs> but, but for your soul, Nancy's like, no, that's not what right. I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so I love that. That's, that's awesome. Um, can you talk about um, so one of so one of your books that I'm I'm a big fan of is Permission to Put Yourself First, which I guess is mm-hmm. is the one before this one that's coming out today, right? That's right. Yep, it's okay. the book that came out before this. They're kind of sisters. Okay, <laughs> they're kind of sisters. Oh, oh, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, Permission to Put Yourself First, what I found fascinating was. You know, it was because Nancy, I'm guessing that because you, you know, you had that, the crumbling of the, of the marriage, um, that you thought, well, what if, what if we could do this? I guess, what if we can kind of repair the relationship, um, you know, at, before it crumbled or what if, yeah, just, I mean, like, really start yeah, it that way, right? Right. Right. The, the idea in my head sort of that was in my head as I was writing, writing that book was, basically how to do love different and how can I, and how can I, how can I be in love again without doing the same things I did before? And really ultimately it it sort of funneled into for me essentially, and this is something I've worked with thousands of coaching clients around how not to lose ourselves in love, because I would say it's an epidemic for women in particular, I'm not, I'm not saying that there are no men who relate to this, but certainly for women, it's far more the norm to lose ourselves and to go into the, you know, overgiving, overdoing, people pleasing, acquiescing mode instead of actually, you know, making ourselves a priority. We make everyone else around us the priority. Right. I, I had a, I used to have a girlfriend that um, you knew who she was dating based on like what she was wearing. <laughs> she would right. change the chameleon. Like her, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She would like yeah. change her style based on you know, and it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. And 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 it happens without you even noticing. You know, like that. You know, that you end up you're like, oh, how did this? You know, how did this happen? So, um, one really great thing about our audience is that they're not in relationship <laughs> yet, for the most part. A lot of them. So um, I think it's a great place to to start and ask those questions. I actually had um, a client who is in a relationship, who's in a marriage, and, mm-hmm. and she's not the only one I've had this come up often, kind of feeling, you know, a little frustrated about the marriage and saying she was, it was interesting, she said, you know, over the past, past few years, I've been doing a lot of self-work on myself, and I realized mm-hmm. that when I met this person, my husband, I had like very like low worth. I had codependency issues. Yeah. I'm healing that. So now I am mad at myself for not have of healing that before. <laughs> and she's like, can I get it? You know, basically mm. kind of asking for like a do over. Um, right. You know, and we, we walk through the process of things that she can absolutely do now and things like that. But it would be nice to do it from the get go. And I was wondering what are your thoughts on how do you do that from the get go? 
Yes, and a couple of things that I, yes, and I want to, I, I will, I will answer that, but I also just want to circle back to what you were just saying, because there's a big piece in the permission to put yourself uh, first book around, mm-hmm. you know, yes, this is for if you are single and you're, you're looking for love, but there's also an aspect of how do you, how do you in a current relationship or marriage, how do you up level it to 2.0 or 3.0 mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. you know marion woodman who was a brilliant uh Jungian, um scholar and beautiful writer she and her husband talked about being in a decades-long marriage that they referred to as having several marriages inside the marriage mm. and i love that because i mm-hmm. think that Here's the deal. We're, we are constantly evolving. We're right. constantly evolving, whether we, whether we know it or not, or whether we like it or not. And even if we think we're evolving at a quicker pace than our partner or whatever that might look like, there's always an opportunity to come together and, and sort of renegotiate the terms of the relationship. So, right. you know, I have, I have a lot of clients who come to me with the, should I stay or should I go? And I'm like, that's right. actually not the question. It's not about staying or going. It's about it's about who are you becoming and mm-hmm. and and what happens as the two of you evolve. But mm-hmm. back to your question, you know, when I am working with clients who are, you know, who are dating, looking for love, looking to begin a relationship, it's so fascinating to me because I will I will say to them, I will pose this question, uh, or pose this proposition, you know, what if you are to go on the first date as you and the horror in their face (laughs) because we're so predisposed to how do I show up as someone that the other person is going to want to choose. We immediately go into the place of feeling that we need to be chosen as opposed to going in as the chooser. Mm -hmm. And we, and we go in with, how do I make Yeah. How do I I myself to be, to be digestible to someone else. And right. instead, the permission to put yourself first, you know, aspect here is how do I go on this first date as me? How do I pay attention to the red flags that are, that are first going to arise in my body without even uh-huh. language attached to them? How do I then pay attention to what is coming in? And what if I get to choose, do I want to see this person again versus 100%. wait to see if this person wants to see me? Because what happens when you, when you think you're being, you know, somebody's choosing you is that there's like a numbness that happens to the body mm-hmm. where no longer can I feel my internal um, guidance because I'm basically outside of my body really making sure that I'm, and, and more paying attention to how the other person feels. So you're tapping into like the other person more than you're tapping into yourself. So right. you have no guidance system at that point. So the idea of right. like, that's really down, Right. And that's really the codependency of it all, the way that we're looking for mm. someone else to regulate us emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I love that. It gives me goosebumps. And it's just something mm. that, you know, we don't, and codependency is just like, you know, it's like this catch all phrase. And I think that most of us think we're not codependent when most of us are, right? Like I, I remember being like, oh, that kind of sounds like me um, when I heard yeah. that, that term mm-hmm. a long time ago. And it's, mm-hmm. it's these kind of things. Um, how can, are any ideas of like how we can stop being a people pleaser? Like how, you know, are there any, I guess any tangible, you know, tips or anything that you can think of 
that, well, mm-hmm. first maybe can you explain yeah. a people pleaser? Because maybe some people don't know they are. Um, and then, you know, what can we do to help ourselves out? Yeah. I would, I would simply say that people pleasing is when we are taking other people, when we're living an other referenced life. So we're taking other people into account and we're actually discounting ourselves. Mm. And so we're, we are also living under this illusion that we can make other people happy. And that we can also, on the flip side, make other people unhappy or angry or disappointed. And I'm going to really just lay out here, we can't make anyone else feel anything. They have a choice about how to, how to feel in response to our truth, but their response is not our responsibility. We don't actually have that kind of power over another that we think we do. So the the way that we move from that is first of all and this is not necessary this is not this is simple and not easy to start considering ourselves first. So and we're I, so used to go ahead. Sorry, I wanted to ask you interrupt you for a second, Nancy. That's when you say it, I just it was almost like we need reverence for what you just said because it was such a, it was very powerful. Yeah. Um, th- you know, I think that when you, when you tell somebody like that, um, that is used to living life, you know, uh, really looking at like, how am I making other people happy? I have that in me. Um, it almost feels disorienting when you tell them yeah. that um, you can't. Right. I remember learning that with my mm-hmm. therapist. She, yep. uh, I had a therapist who told me, you know, I was working through my um, things with my mom and I was like, you know, I just want my mom to be happy. She has such a beautiful life. She doesn't see it. And she's like, Nikki, your definition of happiness is very different than your mother's, right? Like your mother is happy when she's controlling situations. So like, you know, right there, there is, you can't, like, how could you give that to her other than giving her your control over you? Um, and in that moment, it really crumbles your foundation because I think at some mm-hmm. point, you, if you don't have that mirror, if you don't have that reflection anymore, then, um, you know, then, then like, I would imagine people that you're working with are like, well, how do I, like, how do I go on? Who am I? You know, in many ways. That's right. Well, and that's part of the piece of being other reference because what we're really doing is we are essentially putting our worthiness in someone else's wagon. We are letting someone else be the determiner of our value and our worth. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to support bringing that back inside of us. And so the slow, you know, this is a slow process of micro movements to start mm. considering ourselves first. And what I want right. to say is that it's not an either or because most people hear this black and white. Either I, either mm. I consider myself or I consider someone else. No. Right. It's that you're simply giving yourself as much consideration, if not more. And I will, I will right. say I tend to, I tend to sort of, you know, want to lean on the edge of more, but giving yourself as much consideration as you're giving others. So you're taking yourself into account. You know, I often look at the metaphor, but it's also very literal of, you know, we're setting the table with, you know, the fine china, the crystal, the silver and the big juicy steak or the big juicy tofu. And we're setting the table for someone else to sit down and we go eat in the sink and, you know, standing in the kitchen over the sink in the dark, eating the crumbs. Right. And, and that's, that, so, that's a perfect example. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's really mm -hmm. how can you set yourself a place at the table right alongside someone else? And this, right. you know, this can show up in the simplest of ways. But, you know, even if we just break it down to something around preferences and desire, you know, when someone says, where do you want to go for dinner tonight? The usual response is, I don't care. Where do you want to go? Right? Right. So even right. to just get into the place of, huh, you know, let me actually consider what do I want? Oh, I want sushi mm -hmm. tonight. Now, the other person might want Italian, and there might be a conversation about where you're going to end up going, but it's very different to then decide together in a collaborative way versus that I really want sushi, they want Italian, I'm not going to say I want sushi, and I'm going to go now eat Italian and feel resentful. <laughs> because right. whenever we're not telling the truth, we are creating chaos, right. and the chaos is happening inside of ourselves first and foremost and so when we're when we don't want to tell the truth and when we don't even want to offer up hey i want sushi tonight it's you know it is it is conflict avoidance we're so afraid of engaging in conflict and so part of this too is is i have you know it's like cozying up to conflict is something i talk about a lot that conflict doesn't have to be bad conflict can simply just be an illumination of our differences it doesn't right. have to be bad. Right. Right. It's just kind of like, okay, yeah. And then, you know, you get to decide what you do with that when you when that comes up. What if you're right. with the, a people pleaser? Mm -hmm. Sorry, what if you're and what if you're with a people pleaser? Yeah. So so part of it is that when some when the most often the people with people pleasers are are with the people pleaser because they want to get their own way. Right. They're not really necessary, necessarily invested in the people pleaser uh, standing up for him or herself. Right. Oh, it's so sad. So, yeah. mm -hmm. so it, and if you are the rare bird <laughs> who is with the people pleaser and would love for the people pleaser to do so, then I, then it, it is, it's, it's communication around, hey, before you say yes to this, will you really actually consider for yourself what you want and then let me know what you want? Right. And then oh, we can go so from nice. there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and it, it doesn't have to be. Yeah, it doesn't. And that's the thing, you know, what I, you know, and you mentioned my boundary book and what I really learned in, in, in the work of mine um, preceding the boundary book was that really the number one reason people don't set boundaries, and I would even go so far as the number one pe reason people don't tell the truth or state their preference, is that they don't know what to say. They don't actually have the language for it. And right. so part of, what, part of the, what I really am on about working with people is finding the language and bringing the language back to ourselves instead of pointing a finger at someone else. Right. So, because, yeah. Sorry. No. Well, so that book um, that you mentioned, guys, it's, it's called Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free. And that's actually out today. Yeah. So please it's out support. Today. Yeah. Support <laughs> Nancy. Let's, let's get her into the bestsellers list. Um, but um, so I think with, well, first of all, maybe we could explain a little bit of what boundaries are. But it's really mm -hmm. interesting that you, you discovered that people didn't have the word for it. And I think 
honestly, like thinking back to myself, I think that if we rock that foundation of like, oh, I'm not supposed to people please anymore, it is it, it really is right. disorienting. I, I would imagine that can yeah. cause a crisis to be like, who am I? Yep. Um, because yep. it, you know, it, you know, it really causes this, which is probably why we don't want to face it in many ways because it's gonna it's gonna cause a, a you know, big internal. Uh, issue and um have you ever seen somebody kind of at that point if they don't know who they are like kind of block themselves towards um being able to answer questions like do you want sushi or italian like because maybe i don't know what i want um right do you have you ever seen like somebody kind of walking to that towards that oh absolutely absolutely so in in my book worthy which we haven't mentioned Mm -hmm. yet um yeah in there's there's a there's if I may say so myself there's mm-hmm. there's really a fantastic exercise in there called fifty desires, and it okay. was that exercise was really born out of uh when I left my marriage and you know I haven't given all the details, but I was in a very it was a it was very abusive I was in a situation where I had enabled um a lot of control coming at me from mm-hmm. my now ex husband so mm-hmm. once I was on my own, it was really challenging for me to even know what do I want to wear? What do I want to eat? How do I want to move my body? And oh, so gosh. anytime I noticed a desire arising in me, I started writing it down. Anytime mm-hmm. I had an authentic, organic desire, a want, right. a need that would come to the surface because from my backstory that we haven't even gone into, I have a brother who died that elicited a whole piece around me believing based on his condition, he was very ill before he died. I really took that on as a belief that it got imprinted in me around, I need to be self-sufficient. I need to be independent. I have, I need to have no needs. And so when I met my husband, you know, his needs were so overpowering that I just sublimated all of mine in service of making all of his come to fruition. And so it was also just coming back into, wow, I I actually have needs. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to embrace and I'm going to pay attention to my needs. So in answer to the question about how do you actually begin this? You know, I have a couple of that, that exercise and worthy, the 50 desires is a brilliant way to start just connecting to what are my desires? If, if I don't even know what I want, how do I get in touch with the wanting and the receiving and the having? The next piece is uh, twofold. One is literally upon waking in the morning before your eyes are even open, before you're putting a foot on the floor, to just take a moment and to just say, what is the most self-loving action I can take today? What is the most self-loving action I can take today? What is the most self-honoring choice I can make today? And ask yourself these two questions. To just start getting yourself in contact with you instead of waking up and going right into the frenzy of everyone else. I used to wake up every morning with the first thought was was what do I need to worry about today, which was inevitably about someone else. Oh, God. And so I literally had to like regroup, put the like new grooves in the record <laughs> of like, oh, I'm not going to wake up with, what do I need to worry about today? I'm going to w- wake up with my attention on myself. Right. So to start there. 
and then to do the things, no matter how small, what's the choice, what's the action, because everything in life is coming, will come down to choice and action, everything. And right. then, and then throughout the day, when, when we're at, when requests are made of us, to actually take a pause and consider. Mm-hmm. So I'll often say, I'll often say, if you're ready to say no right away, for example, say no. But if you're not ready to say no or you're scared to say no, then let the person know that you'll let them know tomorrow. Right. Giving yourself this buffer because most of us go into the knee-jerk yes. And we go into the knee-jerk yes out of a feeling of obligation or responsibility or because we don't want someone else to be angry or disappointed or we want to be the hero. And I want to reorient us to saying yes when it's a deep desire, only, only a desire. So if it's any of those other things, it's actually a no. And the thing about saying, and the thing about saying no is most of us believe we have to give a reason or an excuse. We have to do a song and a dance around our no, but we don't. We can simply say something like, I'm not available for that. Thank you for the invitation. You know, whatever it might be. But we don't That's have to go so into, you know, like, mm-hmm. We don't have to when go into do it, you're like, or a reason. Exactly. And when you don't have to give that excuse or reason, you're like, look at that. Look at me. <laughs> it's amazing. Right. Exactly. Um, exactly. Nancy, if I am aware that I'm a people pleaser, I'm aware of my lack of boundaries, and I'm trying to, you know, start um, these exam- these um these tips and, and, you know, pauses and things like that. Um, when I, I would imagine that if I um, say no, don't give an excuse. It may, may bring in some anxiety. I may get worried about like, sure. you know, what this person's going to think of me, what mm-hmm. they're going to say. Mm-hmm. Um, any ideas for like when that may come up? Cause I, I'm, I'm dedicated to saying no, or I'm dedicated to taking positive, but I'm also, um, I have to deal with the withdrawal of the addiction of making people happy. And that, and I'm glad that you brought in that word because it is an addiction. It is mm-hmm. an addiction. And so part of it is actually being able to be in contact with the part of me to be able to say, like, what matters most is that, is that I approve of me. You know, right. because it's you're unhooking from the external validation and the external approval. And that is a big unhook. It's a really big unhook. So part of it is just being able to come, literally be able to come back into contact with yourself and to be able to talk. I, I'm a big, I'm a big self-talker. <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> like talk mm-hmm. myself down off the ledge, and, <laughs> you know, to remind, like to remind, it's all, everything's going to be okay. I'm not going to die if this mm-hmm. person is upset with me. It's mm-hmm. their choice. I don't have to scramble. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go into the mode of what can I do or say to make everything be okay if I'm following mm-hmm. my truth. Right. And I'm not responsible for that. When you say um, unhooking, I actually, like, I'm, I'm so visual, so I, I visualize that. I'm like, oh, like, I, I almost, like, um, it's so funny because as you were talking, to be completely honest with you, Nancy, at some point, I was like, I hope she's liking this interview. And then you start going into, um, 
you know, it's, it's like, you know, we talk about people pleasing and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm hooked to Nancy. So as you say, <laughs> um, unhooking, for me, it's like a visualization, like really just like almost imagining that there's a hook to the person you're trying to um, make happy mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. A cord, a yeah. hook, whatever. And and even just as I, like, as you said that I like let go of the hook and I'm like, okay, I feel so much better. Like it's almost, it's energetic in a sense. So um, I right, like that look, word. Right, but. Yeah, because look what happens when you take the attention off of me and put it back on you. I mean, what if you yeah. were what if you were more concerned with your enjoyment of this interview than me? Right. And what right. are you you know, what are you getting out of it? As opposed right. to even right. me or your audience. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah, but yeah. then, you know, and and this is the flip side and I talk about this in both permission to put yourself first and setting boundaries will set you free. This whole concept of um of our, of our rejection of selfish, you know, I'm really on the bandwagon to reclaim selfish. We've really pushed it away and we don't want to be yes. thought of as selfish. We don't want to be, we don't want to be, we don't want to think of ourselves as selfish. And we think that if we're putting our attention on ourselves, that it's selfish, but it's not, right. it's simply another, it's simply another form of self-love or self-care to put the attention on ourselves in this way. Right. And also, like, looking at how we um, demonize people who are selfish or that we consider selfish, you know, like, and that I think that we're just kind of, like, I, I can, like, I, you know, as a parent, too, um, I was recently mommy shamed last week, and I was, you know, I was very triggered, very upset by being mommy shamed um, by another mother, and um, I was thinking of just demonizing, like, my 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 decision to put myself first in this scenario um and like you know it goes both ways it goes both ways like I always try to extend because of course there's times I'm going to judge people and think that you know they're being selfish but I have to remind myself that I don't want to put that into the world either um that they they are allowed to choose and like give people space to choose themselves as well that we're not mm-hmm. um, that we're mm-hmm. saying oh I can oh, I can choose but the other people in my life can't choose so always um, you know, and I'm always practicing that in my, in my marriage as well. I, I laugh, you know, my house, um, in the back of our house, my husband has like this whole tool shed and it's very ugly. And uh, we have a, we have a nice, um, backyard and my friends are always like, how could you let him like, you know, have such an ugly thing in your backyard? And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is his house as well. <laughs> he pays the right. mortgage as well. Um, and he deserves to have, uh, choice and put it, you know, and and put it, he knows that that's important to him to be able to fix things and have a workshop and all that kind of stuff. And he deserves to make that choice. This is his life, you know? Um, yeah. So like, as much as it bothers me, <laughs> I, um, hmm. and as much as I wish it wasn't there, I also respect that like, we're co-living, you know, like he's living his life, I'm living my life. Um, but I would, I'd, I would never want to step over um, and and take take that away from him you know yeah yeah so yeah that um Nancy boundaries can you explain um I mean can you explain maybe how boundaries might show up in dating like is there any examples of maybe how you would see that yeah so the first thing I'll say I define boundaries as the limits we set around what we will or will not do will or will not tolerate and will or will not accept Okay. And what I want to be clear about is that when our boundaries are crossed, 
we are the ones crossing them. So this in and of itself is kind of a radical <laughs> statement because most people speak in the language of he crossed my boundaries or she crossed my boundaries or I tried to set a boundary, but he or uh -huh. she keeps doing X, Y, Z. Right. So we want to point the finger at someone else and blame them for our experience of our boundaries being crossed. So what I want to say is that our boundaries are ours to set and ours to maintain and hold. It's not anyone else's job to even respect or honor our boundaries. Right. It's up to us. Right. So right. we cannot set boundaries unless we're ready to hold them. Otherwise, we're the little girl or boy who cried wolf. Right. So very, you know, simply dating, it can come up in dating as, you know, some, let's say my last relationship was with an addict. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've made, I've made a, a promise to myself, I'm not going to date an addict again. Right. And then I find myself, and let's say, let's say, that um that per that the addict i was with was um was pot he was like smoking right. pot every day right right i'm not going to do that again now i find myself at dinner with someone on a date and he has six drinks over the course of the dinner right and i i would start feeling in my body i'm even feeling it right now as i'm just talking i feel mm -hmm. it in my body but i think oh that's nothing oh he's probably just nervous oh he's he probably doesn't drink like this all the time. Oh, and I start making excuses. Right. And I start protecting him. And I start making him be okay. Instead of paying attention to the, huh, it's really not okay with me that he's having six drinks. Right. So that's just one example of how we cross our own boundaries. It could be something around language it could be i'm out with someone and all of a sudden a racial slur comes out mm -hmm. and, and we let it go i you know and it, right it could be like oh he probably just doesn't know any better or oh he probably didn't mean it or oh you know something like that we're, we're much more quick to forgive than actually step into the like wow whoa that is not okay with me right and I think, Nancy, you said something interesting um, earlier where you were saying that, you know, you guys, it's, you know, it's not black or white. It's not like, you know, this mm -hmm. way or the other way. And what can happen, you know, in this example, and, and I talk about this in dating, is that if I'm with somebody, they make some, you know, kind of racist comment. And, you know, maybe it could pass either way. But I could either not say anything or I can be mm -hmm. like, and I can mention something. And we can mm -hmm. actually have a conversation and that person, That's I can right. change that person's life, right? I could, maybe he'll never do it again. Maybe we get married, maybe we don't. But either way, like I'm, I'm setting the tone for like what my expectations are and that person can feel like from, from that. So um, I always, you know, like, I think what we forget is that relationships, like you said, they're, we're constantly, we're evolving and they're, the relationship itself is evolving. And yes, you know, who my husband and I are today is very different from how we met. And I, little by little, have let him know what's okay with me, what's not okay with me. And that's why he is who he is today or, or who I am who I am today, because he has told me what works for him and what doesn't work for him. And mm -hmm. yes, yeah, sometimes it, it comes from an argument. Sometimes it may be because yeah. we had some sort of yeah. argument, we learned from it. But the point is that like, somebody probably said like that's not okay and 
if I was afraid of that confrontation, I wouldn't have what I have today. Right. So that's right. Like as simple as going on that first date and hearing that, like you don't, you, you could, you, you don't know what that little, you know, change could, would do. So it's like mm-hmm. worth it. So empowering, exactly. you know? Yeah, very. And I think this is where, like, this is where it's the beginning of let me be true to me right here. Because here's the thing. It actually takes so much more energy to be that chameleon or package yourself to be digestible to someone else, or shut down your truth, bite your tongue. It takes so much more energy to wear a mask (laughs) than it does to simply live open and honestly and truly. I would never have known the amount of energy that could return to me when I started living in my truth instead of with the armor of just wanting everyone to see the perfection that I was trying to show them. That is not true. I can't mm-hmm. imagine, I'm sure. I'm sure you were just like, whoa, I'm 10 years younger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, takes, it takes no energy to tell the truth. Yeah. It takes no energy. It's, it's an energy courage. suck and drain. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. an energy suck and drain to, to hold it in. Right. And I guess the fear, well, not the guess, I know the fear in dating to, to not, you know, to not wear masks and to, to not be these things we're talking about. The fear is, well, I'm going to delay this process. You know, like that, that's, I, I know logically it doesn't make any sense, but I'm thinking, well, if I bite my tongue here, if I let something fly here, nobody's perfect, Nancy. Um, mm-hmm. then, um, <laughs> then like this, this, um, pain of, of quite quote unquote being single of, you know, is, um, going to, to, it's going to prolong itself as opposed to if I get a little bit more flexible, um, I, you know, this will, you know, like this, right. will, go, so, this will end shorter. Right. So here's the thing. And this is, you know, this is where I come from, that, that there's this whole epidemic around this quote unquote pain of being single mm-hmm. and that it's really a habit to mm-hmm. think that that's such a pain that that pain is so that that pain is so prevalent and and all encompassing and really the dating and even being in a relationship is never going to take away the pain of being single mm-hmm. even getting married even being married for 60 years is never going to take away the pain of being single because we're trying to solve something externally that needs to be resolved internally first Mm-hmm. So the pain of being single isn't actually going to be, isn't going to be resolved by another person. Happy you shared that, Nancy, because, you know, it's like I'm your mom. <laughs> I say it, but they don't listen, but you're an outsider. They'll listen to you more. <laughs> well, I, I, I really feel, I really strongly feel this to be true because here's the bottom line. The most important relationship we will ever have is the one with ourselves, you know, the Mm -hmm. relationship between you and you, that's the relationship to put the investment in first and foremost. Right. The relationship with another is gravy. But the relationship between you and you is the source is the foundation of all Mm -hmm. that you're creating in your life. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, you know, what you were saying before, and this is an important piece in here to also name you know, when, when, 
we're wanting to like avoid the conflict or, oh, I should just sort of go along with this and go on another date, even though, you know, whatever, because I don't want to delay the process. I want to find Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. I want to make this happen already. Um, whatever, we're, whatever sort of judgment we're fearing from the other person, what are they, what will they think of me or what are they thinking right. or whatever okay. the judgment is, we're already judging ourselves for that very thing. Because the deal is that whatever is unresolved in us, whatever is unreconciled, it's almost like we have Velcro for it to come in Uh from someone else. (laughs) So whatever we're judging ourselves for, whatever we're criticizing ourselves for, we think we're fearing someone else coming in with that judgment or criticism. The truth is that we... If we haven't, if we haven't done the inner work to heal that in ourselves, we've just left ourselves wide open with that Velcro for it to stick with someone else. So the judgment from someone else isn't going to stick if I've done the inner work to heal that piece. Right. It's like you're, 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 I don't want, you're immune to it, I guess, in a sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And. And it's true. I mean, if we boil down to it, it's like, you know, if I'm afraid of being um, not with, you know, the love of my life right now, a lot of it is, yes, there's the desire, because a lot of, you know, a lot of people will say, well, but I have this desire to be in this relationship, but it's also okay, but that's not, that's not the current, that is not the present. And the fear typically comes from, if we really look down at it, it's like somebody that we're afraid of judging, you know, and it's, it's not even usually a person like who we're thinking we're hurting or who we're mm-hmm. being judged by. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, you know, it's like, what am, what am I, fe- what am I fearing of being judged? Like what, what judgment am I, am I fearing at this point? Um, and that's that right. is really, that's really just so, you know, just, and not, not to say that it's going to, you know, take all your desire to be in partnership. Um, and it's yeah. not going to bring a person right in front of you, but it is going to make you allow you to, to be whole and present instead of, you know, really feeling like something's missing. So that's beautiful. Oh, Nancy, I could talk to you forever. Thank you so much. Um, (laughs) Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah, no, I mean, there's endless questions, but let's, you know, not take up all your time. But so I'm, so guys, again, setting boundaries will set you free comes out today. And Nancy, I guess like, you know, your quick description, we talk a lot about boundaries, but what, um, you know, who this book best for? Yeah, you know, again, it's it's really for you if you are if you are identified as, you know, people pleaser, overachiever, overgiver. If you mm-hmm. also are someone who notices you're living with a lot of resentment and blame that you want to blame someone else for your unhappiness or blame Mm. someone else for why your life isn't going the way it's going. Mm. And you feel a lot of resentment around that. The number one, the number one clue that you are living an unboundaried life is that Mm -hmm. you're filled with resentment. Resentment is always a telltale sign that boundaries are not in place. And so these are yeah. boundaries to have, that you have with yourself, boundaries that you have with other people. And in the book, I actually take you, I break it down inch by inch, granular, micro, to support you in how to begin setting beginner boundaries, intermediate boundaries, bottom line boundaries. <laughs> and I give you scripts. I give you language. 
to support it. you in, in knowing this. And then even with the piece we were talking about before, uh, you know, there is, there is in the setting boundaries will set you free. There is also a desire list exercise in there. And there's an exercise around knowing your non-negotiables because to mm. me, this is the really critical piece of what, what am I now saying is non-negotiable for me in my own life and with others. Yeah, it's important in dating also, right? Like, very you know, important in dating. Yeah. Like a little context. Very important yourself. in dating. Yeah. And you guys, exactly. um, I, I would like to mention um, that boundaries, those of you who I know have felt like you've already worked on this, I, my understanding, and I, I would imagine, Nancy, maybe you would agree, is that boundaries um, for, for me are, we're always rebuilding them and we're, we're always extending them and bringing them, you know, they're, they're, they're not set in stone, like in the sense that just because you think you've worked on this doesn't mean that like as a relationship evolves, that you're going to need new boundaries. <laughs> so um, I right. really think that, that um, setting boundaries will set you free is actually great for anybody who, you know, is mindful of boundaries, but also knows that like, you know, we're, we're constantly setting them, you know, we're constantly setting them and every, you know, in all scenarios as you, um, I had certain boundaries with my clients at the beginning and they're very different what I have now because if, you know, like the, the business evolves, I evolve, same thing with as the children grow. I mean, so it's just, it's a good thing to always look at. Um, not just because you have, again, going back to that topic, not because you have a problem or there's a crisis, but also just prevention wise. Um, I also, yes. Nancy, really love permission to put yourself first, which was right before yes. setting boundaries. Yes. Um, your little, I guess, um, small t- talk on what, what is, uh, what is that book mainly about? What do you, who do you think it's good for? What, what, what give us the, the pitch? Yeah. <laughs> I real I really think it's, it's great for anyone who has experienced losing themselves in love. Yeah. So whether you're in a relationship currently or you're looking for love, you're looking for relationship. If your pattern, if your history has been to lose yourself, this book will actually support you in, in making yourself a priority as you are entering into either a new partnership or a new up-leveling or new version of a partnership. Yeah, I love that. And um, I think, you know, I have a lot of clients that get afraid of getting, they don't know this, but they're subconsciously afraid of getting into a relationship because they have worked so much on not losing themselves that they're afraid that like if I, you know, there's a trauma there where if I get back into yeah. a relationship, I yep. that I'm going to become. So actually that in itself is a block and not allowing a person to attract love because why I've been so great these last three years. Yeah, I want love, but I've also been really independent. And I know right. about based on my history that I am going to lose myself. So right. let's just keep so, attracting shitty people and blame it on the universe. Right. <laughs> Exactly. So I, I mean, that book has a very clear process of exercises to do to actually first identify the patterns and then I, and then shift the patterns. So I have a very specific process where you work with, with beliefs, with excuses, with patterns, and then you are able to actually shift them so that you don't go into a relationship from the same space that you have before. Right. Yeah, I love that. I, I already have a few people in my mind who I'm going to gift it to <laughs> for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I love that, Nancy. And so all her books are, there's, she has several. These were um, the ones that we were talking about today. We also mentioned Worthy. Um, they're available on Amazon, but I think just a great place to visit too to learn more about Nancy's work is on her site, which is her name. We'll have it in the, um, we'll have it in the show notes so you guys can just click on over there. 
but um, there's there's such great information there. Oh, and you know what? For those of you who are, I have a lot of healers and coaches out there, so I just wanted to tell you also that um, Nancy actually recently started her um, Life Coach Academy. And um, for those of you that, you know, not too many legit places <laughs> to go into life coaching <laughs> and right. Nancy and Nancy has established one. So we wanted to share that with you guys too. So, um, Nancy, yeah. well, you want all to the infos say on why? Yeah. 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 Everything's there. Say, all the infos. Everything's on my site. Yeah. I was really, I was really drawn to create a coach training and certification program. Uh, my, my mentor who I mentioned earlier, Debbie Ford, where I did my certification, she died about six years ago and there's yeah. been a gap and I've been sending people other places to do certifications and then they always end up coming back saying, but I want to be a coach like you and I want to, I want to do it. I want to do it in this specific kind of way. So I really I realized that, that it was part of my mission to yeah. create this, this program. That's beautiful. Are you do? Is it online? Is it like an online program or is it? Yes, it is. It's yep. Okay. It's, we do. There's six modules, and we meet weekly via Zoom, and there will okay. be an in-person component. Okay, I love that. Yeah, that, yeah. That I I think it's becoming like more and more important. People are really um, wanting that. So. Yeah. Oh, Nancy. Well, thank you so much. Um, everybody, remember, if you're listening to on the, well, not even, even after, if you're listening to this two years later, check out Nancy's book on Amazon. Hopefully, if you're listening today, we can um, support her on this day because she's been so gracious with her time and sharing herself with us. Mm, so thank you thank for being you. here, Nancy. Thanks so much for listening. For more guidance on your journey to the final swipe, please visit me at NikkiNovo.com. 